Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Thank you, church. Can you just remain standing? I just want to pray because I love praying, but it also is going to help settle me a little bit. So if I can just be a little bit selfish in this moment and you can pray with me and we can believe that God is going to do something. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and we just ask that you would come and meet us here. We know that you are already here, but we open ourselves up again to you, Lord God. We are seeking a divine encounter with you, Lord God, so that we might know you better, that we might reflect you better, but above all else, that we might be transformed into who you have called us to be. We just ask that you would speak, that you would encourage, that you would impart. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would step forward and that I would step back in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You guys can take your seats. Give the person next to you just a quick high five or a low five or a medium five maybe. As Pastor Tony said, my name is Dan. I'm part of the team here at Life. And I just want to uh, add my welcome to his. And if it is your first time, we cannot wait to hang out and get to know you and uh, learn all about you and learn uh, some funny stories you might have. And I've got some funny stories I can share with you. So we can bond over it. It's going to be great. But hang in the cafe afterwards. But I am have the pri- I do get the privilege of introducing our new series called Counter Culture. Everyone say counter. counter. Everyone say culture counter culture. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter, we're going to be going through and looking uh, at this book as we go through this series. Now, 1 Peter was written by, funnily enough, a man by the name of, you guessed it, Peter. That's great. I'm doing well so far. Come on. But Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was also an apostle. Uh, he was also an incredibly bold and, uh, and, and really passionate man. Um, he also gets a little bit of a bad rap, right? Peter was the guy who uh, denied Jesus three times right before he was dying on a cross. Peter was the guy who constantly seems to be messing up in the Scriptures, right? He seems to have the most recorded mistakes out of any of the disciples in the Scriptures. It's like Peter is the guy that's like, man, I can't seem to get anything right. But Peter was also a great leader. Peter was also an incredible disciple, and Peter also had a revelation of Jesus that led him to actually being one of the best preachers and first preachers we've ever seen in the new modern church. What I mean by that is in Acts, we see him stand up after being filled with the Holy Spirit and having this revelation and restoration of Jesus Christ. He stands up and preaches a preach that is so good that 3,000 people get saved in one moment. He leads the first altar call since Jesus went up to heaven. That's pretty great. And 3,000 people. Don't worry, I'm not expecting that this morning from you guys. So it's cool. We're good. It's going to be all right. But Peter was a great, great leader. And he was incredibly, incredibly bold and knowledgeable. See, Peter also tackled in his letters some incredible theological topics like foreknowledge, divine uh, divine election, sanctification, trinity, obedience, and the blood of Christ. But two things that you'll see as we go throughout this series that come up time and time and time again, two themes that you'll see come up in these letters of Peter are this. Number one is that we have a hope that is found in Jesus. And number two, that we are called to live counterculture to this world. See, Peter writes in these letters that we are citizens of heaven, as he puts it. We are cit- in other words, heaven is actually our home. Heaven is where we belong, where God is in His perfect presence. That is what we were created for. And as a result, we are not citizens here. We are temporary temporary residents here on earth, but heaven is our home. 
And because we're citizens of heaven, we carry the culture of heaven, right? Wherever you are from as a citizen is where you will carry that culture from. For those who are carrying around an Australian passport, you are an Australian citizen. You carry the Australian culture wherever you go. For those who have a South African passport or a UK passport, whatever it is, you carry the culture of your citizenship. And we as Christ followers, as Christians, are called to carry the culture of heaven into every day. And so that's where Peter's writing about the fact that we're meant to be counterculture to this world. Because we're in this world, we're not of it. This is not our home, heaven is our home. And therefore, the way we respond, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we think, the way everything we do is different to how the world does. Why? Because we understand that we have a living hope in Jesus and we're called to live counterculture. So that is the synopsis of what we're doing over this next series, is looking at what are the countercultures that Peter is talking about. And this morning, I have the privilege of kicking us off with this one right here, to have faith in trials. The counterculture of having faith in trials. And this message this morning is for anyone who's currently in a trial, going through a trial, or will one day be in a trial. In other words, it's for all of us. But my hope and my prayer is that this morning, through what I'm about to share, that you would have a living hope found in Jesus and you would know that you can live a counterculture life in the midst of a trial. We're about to read a scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through to verse 8. But just before we jump into there, or maybe as you're finding it in your Bible, I would love to give you some context as to the, script, the, the time, the place, what's happening as Peter's writing into uh, these churches. So he's writing to these churches, which are in Asia Minor. And at this stage, um, these churches, these provinces are all under the control of the Roman Empire, right? And the Roman emperor at that stage was this guy called Emperor Nero. This guy was a really bad guy. Really bad guy. So what takes place a lot of the time when you go and you look at the history of it is that Nero was so uh, fixated on growth and wanted to do bigger and better things that he wanted to expand and rebuild Rome. But essentially the council were not like, hey, we're not going to do that because it's going to be too much. It's going to be too much money, too much effort, too much work. And so what he did is that he actually let Ro- set Rome on fire just so that he could rebuild it in his image. Right, so this is, and he didn't care about the responsibilities, he didn't care what was going on. And what he actually did because of this, he actually blamed what is known in history as the Christ ones. Just a little bit of an insight, that's me and you, that's Christians, that's Christ followers. And so what Nero did is that he burnt down Rome and said it was actually the Christians who burnt down Rome. And as a result, what he did is that he took Christians and he would do a couple of things. One of the one things he would do is that in his big parties, he would throw, he took Christians, he would dip them in wax and light them on fire to light the, the scene of the party. That's his lighting source would be Christians dipped in wax and lit on fire. Pretty brutal. The second one thing he would do is that he would actually skin animals, put, take Christians, put the animal skin on them and then throw them into a cage with a wild animal and watch them be mauled alive. He would sit there and he would watch. So this guy... It's not the guy you want to hang out with very much, right? It's, it's a bad time for these churches. And this is the context that Peter writes in. And look at what Peter says. So this is the context. Look at what he says in verse 1. This letter is from Peter. Nailed it. Come on. An apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. How good is that? That no matter where you come from this morning, God has seen you and He chose you long ago. 
and His Spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed Him and, and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Then he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live in great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay or interest rates or anything else. It is unchanging and through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. And even though you might have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. Man, I don't know about you, but as the, just the, knowing the context and reading that, there's things that don't add up to me. There's things that stand out as counterculture to how I would respond. Imagine if we were being persecuted like this, these churches were being persecuted. Imagine we were under the pressure and the trials. Imagine what we would want and he would be like, hey, hang in there, come on, we're gonna fight for our change. And yet Peter, he doesn't say that. What he says, he goes, hey, you can have faith in the midst of your trials that leads to an inexpressible joy. A joy, a wonderful joy, an inexpressible joy. This is what we have. We have an expectation in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our hardship. We can hold on to the joy. This is what Peter is talking into. And what I want to encourage us today is that no matter what trial you're going through, you can have an inexpressible joy. You can have live with a great expectation. You have a priceless inheritance waiting for you. On the other side. And the thing I love what Peter says, he goes, hey, these trials, they will show and prove that your faith is genuine. Genuine. How is this all achieved? How is inexpressible joy? How is all of this that Peter's talking about achieved? It's through faith. Not only faith, it's through genuine faith. So the question is this morning then, how do we build genuine faith? Well, the first thing I want to bring to your attention is to build genuine faith it's already been alluded to this morning, but our faith is in a person and not an outcome. Genuine faith realizes that our faith is in a person and not an outcome. Peter talks about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we've been set free because of Jesus. And so when we're in the midst of the trial, what he's saying to these churches is not, hey, pray for the outcome. He's saying, hey, no, hold on to Jesus more. He's not saying, hey, keep praying, keep declaring that the outcome's gonna change. He's not speaking about an outcome. Notice, not one time does he mention about their situation changing. All he talks about is, guys, we have an inheritance waiting for us. All he talks about is, guys, we have a hope that is found in the person of Jesus, that because of Him, we are set free. And if I'm completely honest, my response to trials more often than not is trying to look for the outcome and not the person. 
But what Peter is encouraging us to do is stop looking at the outcome and start looking at the person. See, Jesus made a way for us to go home to heaven. See, God is all holy. He is perfect. He is magnificent. And sin, you might have heard this word, but it simply just means missing the mark of holiness. That's all it means, right? Me and you, we do not live up to the perfect holiness, right? That is what sin is. And so what Jesus did is that Jesus came down and paid the price so that we could step into that holiness one day. And it's the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus that decided to do that, that we hold on to. The one who saw us in our worst moment, the one who saw us in our hopeless moment and still said, man, I wanna die for you and I wanna create a way for you and I wanna pay a price you could not pay. Why? So that I could spend eternity with you. Because we have a great inheritance. See, our trials might be momentary, but our reward is secured in eternity. Verse eight of one Peter says this. It says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. Why? Because faith in a person simply speaks about trust. Do you trust Jesus in the midst of your trial? Do you trust him? Not will you keep talking to him. Do you trust him? You know those friends that you trust that when everything falls apart in your life, you can go to no matter what? You know those people? Are you treating Jesus as one of the close friends or one of the far acquaintances? Do you trust him? Faith in him looks like taking Jesus at his word. It looks like going, man, you said this and so I will believe it. Even though I may not feel it right now, even though I cannot see the outcome, I'm going to hold on to the person that has shown me for thousands of years through the word of God and through my own life that he can be trusted. That song that says, hey, I've seen him do it before, so I know he'll do it again. Come on, we trust in the person of Jesus. See, the good news is not that Jesus saves us from our trials, it's that Jesus saved us from our sins. The good news is not that Jesus saved us from our trials, it's that he saved us from our sins. And I think that sometimes we can get that muddled up, but I want to remind us, hey, in the midst of your trial, know this, that Jesus is in there with you. I'm reminded of that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in Old Testament. It's a great story. It's in the book of Daniel. Great name, by the way. Um, you should go read it. It's a great book. But they are in this furnace, and it says that the king who threw him in there saw a fourth person walking around, and it said that he looked like the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus, in the midst of the fire, is standing with those three men. In other words, in the midst of your trial, he might not deliver you straight from it, but he's going to be standing there in the midst of it with you. Question, do we measure our faith investment by outcome or by obedience? Do we measure our faith investment by outcome or obedience? See, this world goes, I will put in if I see this. I will give into if I see a result. I will if I can. But the kingdom of heaven doesn't work like that. The kingdom of heaven works, God, you already did, so I'm just going to. Jesus, you already did, so I am going to. And it's an outworking of obedience that it says earlier in 1 Peter that it's, he chose us and made us holy long ago and so we outwork in obedience with him. Our faith is not in what we see, but it's in who God is. And this is how we can actually hope and hurt at the same time. We've heard Pastor Tony talk about before how we're body, soul, and spirit, and it's all throughout scripture. We're body, soul, and spirit. 
And so what happens in the midst of the trial, we think that if we're hurting, we, we, sometimes some of us can beat up on ourselves, sometimes we can speak down on ourselves. But what we need to realize is that our heart and our soul heart might be hurting, but when we hold on to the person of Jesus, our spirit can actually be hoping still. And as a result, we live in this tension of, uh, we have this real hurt in our heart, but our spirit is alive and hopeful. And this is what it means to live counterculture church. That when you're going through a trial, when people are going, bam, shouldn't you be hurting more? You can be like, yeah, I am hurting, but this is what I know. I know my hope is found in Jesus. And it does not make you someone who's waving and can't decide or doubting. It makes you the person God created you to hope and hurt at the same time. We are called to hope and hurt. This is what it means to live counterculture. When our faith is in Jesus, we can hope and hurt at the same time. So you might have inherited faith. You got it from your parents or your friends. You might have shallow faith and it's ankle deep and you're unsure and it doesn't go deep. Or you might have conditional faith where you say, if you then, then I will. But my prayer this morning is that we would all have a genuine faith that is not centered around any of those things, but is centered on the person of Jesus Christ because of what he has already done for us that we might outwork what he's got on our lives. Not only does this genuine faith realize that our faith is found in a person and not an outcome, it also realizes that God will give you more than you can handle. Now, some of you might be a little bit confused at this point because you probably heard something along the lines of, God will never give you more than you can handle. Did you know this is actually a misquotation of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 13, where it says that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It does not say that God will not give you more than you can handle, right? Because the very notion of that does not speak to the gospel and of itself. Because we couldn't handle it by ourselves, so Jesus came and made a way for us, right? So God will actually give you more than you can handle. Now, some of you, uh, this might cause a bit of a reaction in us, and I get it, because instantly we go, that's not fair, like, you would never, as parents, like, when you take the groceries into the car, right, and let's say you've got a five-year-old and you've got all these heavy bags, you would never give the heaviest bag to the youngest one, right? You would be like, that's, uh, we just take it, right? We'll just carry it in, and maybe you're like me, and you just like to try and do all the grocery trips in one bag, and uh, all the grocery bags in one trip, you know? And you've got, like, the lines in your arm because you've got, like, 13 bags in each arm. Anyways, I'm digressing the point. But we go, we would never do that, right? So why would a, why would a loving God give us more than we can handle? You've got to change your filter of God. Because God is holy before He is loving. God is holy before He is just. God is holy before anything else, right? And it's through holy He is all those things. Now you may be like, well, it's still not fair. Well, I would say you're right, but I would also say we also didn't have to pay a price for our sins that we committed, and I would say that's not fair either. So if we want God to be fair, we've got to be careful what we wish for. God is not fair, God is holy. And because He is holy, He is just. Because He is holy, He is loving. Because He is holy, He is, he is holy first, not fair. And so we need to realize that when we go through trials, it will be more than you can handle. But don't run under that, rise underneath it. Why? Because all throughout Scripture, we see it take place. Your favorite Bible story has that concept in the middle of it that they cannot handle it by themselves. They could not, right? You think about Gideon. 
In the, in the Old Testament, had the army of all these thousands of people and God says, no, you've got too many, go less because I wanna show you I can do it. In other words, hey, you can handle that with what you've got right now. I actually want you to remove that so that you can't handle it. And everyone's like, God, I don't know if you know how battle works. And God's like, no, no, that's not the point. The point is I wanna show you I can do it. And I don't need it, but I wanna do it with you. All right, think about David and Goliath. Whereas David, yeah, he goes, you come against the armies of the living God. He doesn't go, man, I'm going to, he goes, no, you have said this to God. In other words, he's going, no, no, I cannot handle this, but God can handle this. It's all throughout scripture. You will see it time and time again. Why? Because God will give you more than you can handle, but he won't give you more than he can handle. It will be more than you can handle any, every single time, but it will never be more than He can handle because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He exists before and after everything. This is our God that we serve. And in the middle of the trial, when we can't handle it, we need to know something. He can. He can handle it. He can handle it. And so trials are designed to draw us closer to God. Closer to God. Not further away. And it's meant to be the, man, I can't handle this. God, I need your help. Watch what it says here in verse 6 to 7 of 1 Peter 1. So be truly glad, therefore, because there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now I looked into this, the, the whole process around this is that when it's heated up and gold melts, but the impurities within the gold burn away. And so trials will help transform you into who God is calling you to be. See, we think transformation just happens in the nice moments. No, transformation happens in the fire. Because as, the, as, as we are in the trial, as we're in the fire, what takes place is that God uses it to burn away the impurities. He uses it to burn away the insecurity. He uses it to burn away the, He uses it to burn away all these things that are wrapped up inside of us. And as a result, when we draw close to God, it purifies our faith and makes it a genuine faith. God will use these trials to transform you. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit every day. See, God wants us to step out of our comfort zone, or can I put it this way, a different spin? God wants us to step outside of our control zone. We love control. Fun fact, we're all actually like control freaks. Even those who say they're not, right? You are. <laughs> we like control. We love it, right? Even you have a whole generation rising up saying, you can't tell me what to do. It's like, no, that's counterculture to what the Bible says, right? We're called to live counterculture to that culture. And we're going, hey, no, 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 God, you have control, not me. I surrender to you. We've got to step outside of our control zone and give it over to God. In order to stop relying on ourselves and relying on him, he will use trials. See, for me in my life, and a lot of you will know this story, and uh, forgive me if I'm repeating anything, but I'm going to tell it from my side, my, my perspective, uh, is 2016 was a really... Uh, influential year in this house. Um, 2016, at the start of it, what took place, I was volunteering on youth team. 
at this stage, we were, I was loving life, it was great, I was serving God, and it was awesome, and then we were planning the summer camp, and so we went down, and we planned the summer camp, and on the summer camp, many of you would know um, that our youth pastor, Pastor Chris Goog, uh, tragically passed away via lightning strike. And not only that, but my now wife, Ashari then, she was my girlfriend, but she got hit by the same one as well. And I remember, I was there in the moment, I saw it happening, I saw Pastor Chris, I saw Ashari, Shari couldn't feel anything from her waist down, couldn't feel her right arm either. And uh, we also had a, root, we had a whole camp full of kids. And uh, the team did an amazing job in, in, in rallying the kids together, making sure everyone was safe and, and actioning logistically. And then we just started praying in this cafe, but that took place. And then we came back and I went, hey, I, I don't know if I can do anything, but I just want to put my hand up to help in any way, shape or form when it comes to leading youth. And I was uh, a step outside my comfort zone and control zone, to be honest. And so I put my hand up, and then it was incredible. Pastor Tony said, awesome. Hey, I'm going to be working with you. It's going to be great. I was like, this is so cool. And then uh, Pastor Tony got struck with a blood infection later that year. Um, and <laughs> forgive me. But so about, like, this, this is my spiritual father getting struck with a blood infection in the midst of me being unsure and stepping out of my comfort zone. I don't know what's happening. So bad to the point where I went, one of the nights I went there to the hospital to go and just spend the night with him, make, keep him company, pray over him, whatever is needed. And it was one of his worst nights. And I just remember not sleeping a wink. I remember praying the whole night. And every time Pastor Tony would turn to me and he'd be like, Dan, I love you. And I was like, please do not die on me. <laughs> but at the same time, it was a very real fear of mine. I just watched another spiritual mentor of mine pass away earlier that year. I was going, God, like, I don't know what's going on, but you, like, you got to do something. And then, Pastor, Pastor Tony got better, it was great, and then as I'm leading youth, just trying to figure it out, and then if I'm completely honest, my youth team, half my youth team left youth. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and I remember this one Friday night, and Ashari can attest to this, where it was after a Friday, and I just like walked into the offices, and I just got in my office, and I just started bawling my eyes out. Because my insecurities and my doubt were running rampant in my life. Because I was like, God, I can't handle this. I was 20 years old, just trying to serve Jesus, trying to build the church. And I was like, God, I, didn't know, I, I can't handle this. And I remember crying in my office and just spending time with my God. Why? Because I knew that if I couldn't handle it, He could. And I knew that no matter what, even if I felt like giving up, I knew that my God was great enough. I knew my God was strong enough. I knew my God was good enough that this would all make sense one day. And so in that office, after an hour of crying and an hour of crying out to God, I got up and I went home. Why? Because tomorrow was coming. Because I couldn't handle it, but I know he could. My encouragement to you is this. Whatever you're going through, whatever you might be going through, you might not be able to handle it, but you don't need to. God can handle it. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to let have your insecurities. Just make sure you take him to the right place. Make sure you take it to God. Because now I get to stand here and look at this incredible youth ministry that our youth team has helped build and look at the testimonies that have come of it and look at these young people walking in the kingdom of God. I would never have seen that if I tried to handle it by myself. 
I would never have walked and seen the fruit, what God had in front if I had tried to handle it by myself. See, God will give you more than you can handle, but he'll never give you more than he can handle because he is king of kings and lord of lords and there's nothing that he cannot handle. You have to be more dependent on his presence than your ability. You have to be more dependent on his presence than your ability. If you're relying on your ability to get it done, it's not going to work. You have to be relying on his presence. Find yourself in his presence. The best way that I find that I do this is that if it's worship for me. I've got my worship playlist on Spotify. It's great. It's got I Speak Jesus, which we were singing there this morning. It's got that in there. It's got a bunch of other great songs I love. It's got this other song that's what, it's called What Would You Do If You Walked In The Room? It's like, oof, if you know that song, you know it's, oh, anyways, gets me pumped up. But the reason I, the reason I say worship is because worship leads you into the presence of God. Yeah? And the presence of God is what we need. That's why worship is so important. Prayer works, Bible works. Presence of God is there. You just need to seek after it. And if you find yourself not doing, so not being able to handle it, seek the presence of God because he will help you handle it. My final point as the band comes is this, is that genuine faith, big faith starts with small steps. Big faith starts with small steps. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a goal of saving, let's say, $10,000, you don't start with the $10,000, you start with your first dollar. You probably heard it said this way, that if you, you know, big doors swing on small hinges. The Bible says it this way, the faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And I think sometimes my downfall in my life has been that I didn't feel like I had enough faith to demonstrate it. But then I started to realize that God wasn't asking me for that. He was just asking me for enough faith to declare it before I demonstrated it. See, I think sometimes we think that we need faith to overcome the trial instead of faith just to take our next step. You know what I love about Jesus? All throughout Scripture, all throughout the Gospel, you see this, is that Jesus doesn't ask people to do anything that's not right in front of them. Have you noticed that? It's Jesus going, hey, what's right in front of you? Let's do that. Is Jesus going to the woman caught in adultery? It's like, hey, stand up first and now go and sin no more. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when Jesus heals someone, right, and you've got the, the man who was lowered down on the ceiling, he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now stand up and pick up your mat. In other words, hey, do you have faith to pick up your mat? You might be like, I don't have the faith to be healed. But Jesus is like, hey, do you have faith just to pick up your mat? Let's change it a little bit. Because sometimes our faith is so one-dimensional, we think it has to end in the, the, our trial finishing. But maybe it's just a small step along that trial. For instance, this morning, you all had a faith step. And that faith step was getting out of bed and coming to church. You might be like, that's not a faith step. Well, I mean, for some people it was. For some of you this morning, it was a real wrestle. But you chose to have faith. And you said, I've got the faith to get out of bed and go to church this morning. I don't know why I need to be there. I don't know what's going on. God, I don't even know if you're going to show up for me, but I have the faith just to rock up. For me in 2016, I had the faith to keep rocking up on Friday nights, serving our youth ministry. Sometimes I was like, man, I've got nothing. You know how many times I rocked up and I was in that year and I was like, I, we'll see what happens. Right? We've got a plan logistically. But in terms of what I feel like I can apply and supply, I've got nothing. We just got to keep rocking up. I had, a, I had the faith just to wake up every morning, just pray. 
not the biggest, boldest, most audacious prayers, just, God, it's me again. I, I just need you. And I still don't know what's going on, but I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna ask that you would come and meet me. I had the faith to keep opening up my Bible and go, God, I'm gonna keep engaging in your word because I wanna know more of who you are. See, your faith doesn't have to overcome your trial, it just has to help you with your next step. This church started on that type of faith, yes. When Pastor Tony tells a story about going, hey, have you ever thought about planting your own church? In that moment, you could be thinking one or two, that you could be like, well, you could have that, well, do I have the faith to say yes to planting a church or do I just have the faith just to say yes right now? And then tomorrow I'll have the faith to figure out what that means. And then the next day I'll have the faith to work out where we're gonna meet. And the next day I'll have the faith to throw out the invite to everyone, right? See, faith isn't overcoming that thing. Faith is just saying yes. Faith is just activating that step. Faith is just sending that text message to that person. The one that the Holy Spirit's been speaking about, about forgiving. And you may not feel like you can do the whole thing, but just shoot them a text message. Do you have the faith to shoot them a text message? Maybe it's just keep praying for that kid that walked away from Jesus and you wanna see them come back. It doesn't have to be a faith to see the moment happen right there, just a faith to keep going. Maybe it's faith in lifting your hands in worship. Maybe you don't wanna lift your hands, you're like, nah, I don't know if it works. No, do you have the faith just to raise your hand? From here to here. You got that faith. Do you have the faith to worship? Do you have the faith to pray? Do you have, you've got that faith. It's in you, you've got it. See, faith the size of mustard seeds can move mountains. I wonder if you can all stand with me this morning. See, the world is not looking for a Christianity that fixes everything. They are looking for a conviction that reflects God in every season. I'll say it again. The world is not looking for a Christianity that fixes everything. They're looking for a conviction that reflects God in every season. In the midst of the trials, are you reflecting God? Do you have a conviction that says, I'm gonna hold on to the person of Jesus? Do you have a, a conviction that goes, I know God will give me more than, we can, more than I can handle, but it's not more than He can handle. Do you have a conviction that says, I have enough faith to take this little step and it may look, not look like much right now, but I know if you add all these steps up, God is gonna do something great with it because with the faith, the side of a mustard seed, God can move mountains. Start on the little things. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.